Bitcoin is anti-fragile. And what does that mean? Well, anti-fragility is a property of systems that increase in capability, resilience, or robustness as a result of stressors, shocks, volatility, noise, mistakes, faults, attacks, or failures. It is a concept developed by Nassim Taleb in his book, Anti-Fragile. As Taleb explains in the book, anti-fragility is fundamentally different from the concepts of resiliency, the ability to recover from failure, and robustness, the ability to resist failure. But if something's anti-fragile, it actually gets stronger. It doesn't just recover. It actually strengthens from the stressors, the shocks, the volatility, the faults, all those things. So this is a very important concept for Bitcoin. And it's been applied to all sorts of things. Risk analysis, physics, molecular biology, transportation planning, engineering, aerospace, and computer science. You're listening to the Bitcoin and Markets Podcast. Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 33, February 1st, 2017. Let's just jump right into a market update. Bitstamp price is 970. Uh, it's been going up over the last two days now. Um, did a really good consolidation period there in the um, lower 900s, uh, back and forth over that $900 mark multiple times, then flatlining at 920 before spiking up uh, $50 basically to 970. I think we probably go down a little bit. Um, I don't think we break a thousand. Maybe we just barely break it intraday, but um, I think we. We stay under a thousand for a little while here, maybe until next podcast or a couple podcasts from now, and we'll see. Okay, coin is about sixty-eight eleven yuan. Local Bitcoin's volume for seven day is seventeen point five million. That is pretty good. It's not an all-time high. They did have all-time high two weeks ago, but seventeen million is really good for them. It's it's near all-time highs. Paxful volume is not at all-time highs this week either. They are about 2.4 million. So if you add those together, you get about 20 million. And that is pretty incredible for over-the-counter peer-to-peer Bitcoin trading. Um, I'm just amazed by that. Okay, network volume over the last 24 hours, $156 million worth of Bitcoin uh, was sent or uh, transacted on the blockchain the difficulty estimate for this next difficulty adjustment is uh, an increase of 11.6 percent and that should happen in crap let me check on that when's that due that is due in about three days from the first of, of february it's i mean the, the the difficulty is just amazing there has been some talk recently about where the the ASICs are coming from, who owns all the ASICs, um, who is, who are the people that, you know, the manufacturers, and if that's related to some of the Bitcoin Unlimited numbers, we can talk about that later. Maybe I'll talk about that on the Patreon half of this episode, but um, yeah, we just keep going up. And if you zoom out, like on the nine month or even longer, maybe the yearly chart, it just looks exponential. And it's looked exponential for the last, I don't know, year or so. And that's in the face of this halvening. Remember, we dropped from 25 Bitcoins down to 12.5, and the difficulty is still going exponential. 
That's a huge vote of confidence as far as I'm concerned. Okay, and the last thing I'm going to touch on is the Segwit numbers. They're sitting at 23%. This is a longer story. Some of the stuff came out from the Satoshi Roundtable this last week, and you know, there's lots of discussion. I haven't, I haven't really come to a conclusion about it. I'm going to read as much as I can, find out as much as I can, but I'm still very positive on Segwit. I think the market kind of just doesn't need it yet. If we really, really needed that extra space and Segwit is there, then Segwit would be, would be adopted. You know, Segwit right now is the path of least resistance for scaling. So, if it was really needed, SegWit would happen. And I expect variance in here too. So going from 25% down to 23%, in my eyes, that's not a big deal. I mean, it is the wrong direction, but it's not a big deal. Okay, I want to talk about my Patreon stuff because uh, this will be the first episode that I'm splitting in two. So we have this uh, episode 33 that's going to be available, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places you normally find it. But I'm also going to be... Um, doing a Patreon only. So it's going to be episode 33 extended. In there, throughout this episode, I'll, ta- I'll say, like, I'll talk more about this in the Patreon. Um, I, I want to, since you guys are giving me value by subscribing, a dollar a month is all you need to donate to get access to this additional content. But for that value, I want to give you value back. Maybe give you some actionable in- info that you can use on your trading. Or, um, you know, dive deeper into some important kind of longer term fundamental issues that I see going on with Bitcoin. Bits and pieces. Let's get started on our dizzying trip around the Bitcoin space. Remember, and remember, this is the Bitcoin space. This is not the blockchain space. Or the distributed ledger technology space. Um, this is <laughs> the Bitcoin space. Bitcoin is the blockchain. It is not the only blockchain. I mean, there are other blockchains out there, obviously. But if Bitcoin went away, it would set the industry back. Or this sector, this uh, space, it would set them back a decade. Everything is priced in Bitcoin, first off. Um Look at Poloniex. Everything is priced in, in Bitcoin. Plus, you know, if Bitcoin collapsed or um, crashed or got hacked, then it would shake the confidence of this entire technology. And it would become blatantly obvious that all these blockchain projects out there, um, that they are <laughs> worthless, that there's nothing to this, to this tech if Bitcoin failed. Anyways, um, so yeah. There are a couple blockchains that have value, like Ethereum, Litecoin, Monero. I mean, there's these, uh, there are other ones, but, um, in reality, they are mostly speculative. Okay. Bitcoin actually has use case, use demand where Monero has a tiny bit. Uh, Ethereum has basically zero use demand uh, and well, talking about Monero, since I'm not doing altcoinville anymore on these these episodes, those going to be my Patreon only uh, episodes. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Monero real fast. Now, I said in the past that I'm short term bullish and long term neutral to bearish, and I'm still that way. 
and I wanted to explain that a little bit more. So um, Monero suffers from kind of like a catch-22, the way I understand it, is that the more users they have, the more transactions they have, the bigger their anonymity set, the bigger uh, all of these uh, fungibility feature, or the better of all these fungibility features and and things, and anonymity features. But also that their blockchain will bloat kind of exponentially. So they have this kind of sweet spot where they want a lot of users and um, transactions, but not too many because they don't want to grow, grow their blockchain too fast. Um, and so it, with that in mind, I'm kind of bullish until they hit this sweet spot. I don't know where that is exactly. Um, and then after that, I will be kind of bearish. Also, Bitcoin is adding a lot of these features. Hopefully in the future, right? With TumbleBit, there'll probably be some decentralized type interface with TumbleBit and uh, all sorts of different side chains, hopefully, and things like that. So the fungibility and anonymity of Bitcoin will grow. Plus Lightning Network um, does some of those things too. So um, I think that's that's coming to Bitcoin and Bitcoin is going to be able to compete. I don't, Bitcoin will never have ring signatures, maybe a side chain or something, but Bitcoin itself won't. So there are things like that, that Monero will be unique. They'll have unique, uh, that'll be a unique feature of Monero. Uh, but I also think that it's kind of like, uh, signifies a, uh, feeling in the market about Bitcoin scaling. A lot of people are thinking that the Bitcoin unlimited blocks, uh, that is showing us, you know, they're at what, uh, 15, 20%, something in there. And that's showing us like where we're at in the scaling debate. But I don't think so. I think the price of Monero is telling us that. So as Bitcoin looks less able to scale, Monero's price will go up because people will kind of diversify right their risk as bitcoin starts looking more and more like it's going to scale like there is going to be a solution um then i think monero's price will go down i hope that makes sense i'll get more into some of those things on the patreon only so don't forget to subscribe okay let's get into this bu hard fork if you guys have been following any of this this is uh pretty well known now that this happened um Bitcoin Unlimited released their first kind of stable version, quote unquote stable version, I think the 28th or 29th. And within 24 hours, they already had in unintentionally forked the network. It's ridiculous. I want to read Gregory Maxwell's uh, response here on Reddit because he is the expert to get this news from. Okay. In December, Bitcoin Unlimited introduced a bug not reserving enough space in the block for Coinbase transactions that they recently shipped in Bitcoin Unlimited 1.0. It doesn't appear that this bug was in earlier release candidates. The impact of this bug is that in common mining configurations, including Bitcoin.com, uh, these configurations can result in a some, somewhat oversized block, even when configured to a maximum of a million bytes. Then, as in intentional part of their design the bu software will also forward these oversized blocks to to other nodes or if other people create them they will forward these oversized blocks as well the change appears to have been made via a direct commit no pull request so it doesn't 
appear to have had any peer review of any kind. That's a very important part I'll get to in a second. Every Bitcoin Core node happily banned the BU peers that gave them this invalid block and went on running as if nothing <laughs> happened. SPV wallet users uh, who were connected to BU nodes may have seen false confirmations for 24 minutes until the correct chain overtook this invalid chain. Unfortunately, in this case, it doesn't or fortunately in this case, it doesn't appear that SPV miners exacerbated the invalid block fork, though several did follow it briefly. Uh, okay, and then he goes on to say that this behavior of Bitcoin Core was there for over a year before Bitcoin Limited came out, so it's not like they did this to spite Bitcoin Unlimited. Um, <laughs> it's po oh, he goes on here. It's possible that there were more invalid blocks that resulted from this incident, but it's hard to be sure because nodes forwarding them were banned by everyone else. Any further blocks on that fork would not have propagated well at all, so I simply may not have seen them. Okay. The point I want to make here is that this was a direct commit. There's no like history to this. There's no pull request, comment period, anything. Like uh, Maxwell says, there's doesn't appear to have any been been any peer review of any kind. So they they push this out. And what is Roger Ver's outfit there? Bitcoin.com. What do they do? They start mining with it. How insane are you? Oh my god. There's no way that more professional mining pools would do this. So they probably didn't follow this fork. They're those, uh, you know, um, the more professional mining pools that are associated with Bitmain, they probably run core, but signal for Bitcoin Unlimited because they're not idiots. They don't want this to happen to them. Uh, but so my main point, sorry, my main point is this is dangerous. Bitcoin Unlimited is dangerous to Bitcoin. It is basically malware. And to the miners, please do not signal for Bitcoin Unlimited. If you want to have a protest vote, which is 90% of these uh, blocks for Bitcoin Unlimited, if you want to have a protest vote, just don't signal SegWit and make it public that you're not going to signal SegWit. Because if you signal Bitcoin Unlimited, you're you're reinforcing this malware to get out there. You're making it look like this malware has more support. It's dangerous for Bitcoin to be running this. Not peer reviewed. And then, of course, they cry. The Bitcoin Limited does say, oh, first off, <laughs> I thought it was funny. They said that, oh, there's a thousand lines of code. How could we be expected to look through all of them? We didn't look through all of them. And then they cry, say, we need help. Bitcoin Core refuses to help us. Well, of course, this is a free goddamn world, people. And we're not going to, uh, I'm not a core developer, obviously, but the core developers are not going to support something that they don't believe in. They are principled people. And Bitcoin Unlimited is inferior in every way, shape or form. There's no way that they're going to help you. And you can cry about it and say that it's not fair. But you sound like children. My children use the same goddamn arguments. And Gregory Maxwell is being the dad here. Just like I'm the dad to my kids and I, I try to explain how the world works. Yada, yada, yada. That This is what Gregory Maxwell is doing. The experts are with core. So the scaling 
solution is most likely going to have them sign off on it. If they're not signing off on your code, or at least giving you the time of day, it's because it's not worth it. This is dangerous to the network. And miners, please, stop egging this on. You're also pushing this social divide, because people think that there is some argument out there. When in reality, it's maybe 3% of people actually are on the side of Bitcoin Unlimited. And the rest of you are just signaling as a protest vote. But that's dangerous for the community as well. There's going to be a social fork. Not only is there these uh, possibility of an unintentional hard fork that can like crash this economy, there is a there is a social fork going on, and you're egging this on by promoting this dangerous goddamn software. God. So I get worked up, and I'm sorry I get worked up, but this is important to me. This is important to people. This is important to the world. In my opinion, this is the most valuable experiment happening in the world anywhere, bar none. For human freedom, human happiness, all of these things. So it's very important to me, and it should be important to you. Do not run dangerous software. Let's cue some chill out music. Okay, I'm cooled down. <laughs> um, let's get into some of this international stuff because there have been a couple papers out, one by the European Commission, which I'm going to cover first, and then um, one by the Basel Institute of Governance. And that one is a little bit more telling, so I'll cover that as well. Okay, so let's jump into this... Uh, European Commission report. I put a link in the show notes for you guys so you can follow along. Found this on Zero Hedge. Again, the largest news outlet in Bitcoin. The title of this paper is Proposal for an EU Initiative on Restrictions on Payments in Cash. So this is on the subject of this war on cash, you know, demonetization that's sweeping the world. Um, they go through several type of strategies and things, uh, basically putting the wrenches on people's cash usage um, and forcing them into going 100% digital. Now, they do on page, what is it, 5? Top of page 5. If you just do a control F for crypto, you'll find it on page 5. This is what they have to say in a section titled Options that Take Account of New Tech Technological Developments. In view of the development of cryptocurrencies and the existence of other means of payment ensuring anonymity, an option could be to extend the restrictions to cash payments to all payments ensuring anonymity. On the other hand, restrictions on cash payments could promote the development of alternative payment technologies compatible with 
the non-anonymity objective pursued. So there's a lot to unpack in just those two sentences. Of course, when they say cryptocurrencies, they mean Bitcoin or as the FBI this morning, I saw a story about the FBI that they are discovering Monero. They could be looking at Monero, but I doubt it. These guys are so far behind that they're just talking about Bitcoin. Um, so they think that they can extend the same restrictions they put on cash onto Bitcoin. I mean, there's so much wrong with that. They don't understand Bitcoin, obviously. And they're out of touch with the people <laughs> because this overarching idea that I get from this is that they think people want to comply with their regulations. You know, like all they need to do is make a regulation and good people will comply. Well, if that's the case, why have the regulations? You know, um, why, why even make this a law? If people want to comply with you, why don't they just comply already? Because there is a demand for that activity. And if you start restricting people's freedom to make things, uh, make uh, do activities that they want to do, then you're going to push a percentage of people the other way. Okay. And that is, that is a, a, a rule that you can apply to most, uh, regulations. Like, um, if they're, if they're, if people want to comply with this regulation, then they would already be acting that way. There would be no reason for this regulation, but there is a demand for that activity. And so as you, try to regulate it and push people into this other, you know, narrower band of, of acceptable actions, it's going to produce pressure and demand for alternatives. Okay. Um, so they're just pigeonholing themselves. They don't understand the way people think maybe. And I don't think Europeans are much different than other people. I think um, like, okay, there, are, there is something to be said for like, the Chinese or maybe even the Japanese that they want to conform a little bit more. So if you make the regulation, most people are going to conform more likely than say in the West because they don't have this, the same traditions. They don't have the same uh, culture that we have. But I think for Europe um, and Western culture, yeah, if you try to restrict actions that are taking place, a percentage of those people are going to be pushed into criminal activity, quote unquote, criminal activity. Um, and they don't, they don't get it. These people just don't get it. So what are the things that they talk about? Well, we, they can, uh, the, the ways that they want to do this are either a declaration. So when you cash transaction, you have two sides and each side is supposed to, um, file some sort of paperwork and declare this transaction, which sounds kind of silly to me, but, um, they say that both sides, since both sides have to do this, that there will be, they will kind of check each other a little bit and make reporting more, more likely. Um, I don't think that's the case with criminals. They're not going to care what paperwork they have to file. They already are doing criminal activity. And then, um, the other one is just a pure restriction. They have two forms, either an all out restriction or kind of tapering it down like they, that they're doing in the EU with taking away the, the, 500 euro note as and also how they're doing in, in India taking away their higher denominations um, and so they don't have like any they just kind of list options they don't say which one is necessarily the best but you kind of get the understanding that they think that the higher denomination thing is going to be the best 
way. They, and then, of course, they talk about, oh, these cryptocurrencies. So they think that people want to comply. That's the first portion. And they think that they can apply these same restrictions to Bitcoin, which is outside of their purview. It's completely outside of their control. The biggest um, one-liner for Bitcoin is that it's censorship resistant. If you try to regulate it, it will crush you. It'll make you look silly. Okay. Um, and the second part of this second half is on the other hand, restrictions on cash payments could promote the development of friendly alternatives. So they think it's going to incentivize like uh, all of a sudden it's going to make people want to produce friendly apps instead of uh, Bitcoin or, or Monero or these other cryptocurrencies. <laughs> they're completely out of touch here. It's going to do the exact opposite. It's going to make it more um, profitable to use Bitcoin. It's going to make there, there's going to be way more use cases now for Bitcoin. So they're completely backwards here. But this is a typical, this is a typical ideology or typical thought process for these people that are trying to ban cash. And I say, go for it. Cause the only thing I can do is strengthen Bitcoin. Bitcoin's value proposition is censorship resistance. And so these people are just walking into a, a minefield. <laughs> They're blindfolded with their freaking political views and their ideology of state worship. They have no idea how freedom works, how the internet works, how Bitcoin works. So I say, I say bring it on. They think everybody loves them. Everybody is against these bad things with that people do with money they're oh everybody's against money laundering and everybody's against no they're not you are unpopular look at this populist revolutions happening all over the globe especially in the west people don't like the status quo they don't like the system if you tighten the wrenches on these people on their cash usage they're going to find other things and that is Bitcoin. So you're not going, you might spur, slightly spur the friendly fintech development. Okay. But it's going to drastically increase the demand for Bitcoin and things like it. I just think it's, it shows that they're so out of touch. Okay. Um, link is in the show notes. If you guys want to check that out. Also, by the way, if you do control F and look for gold, uh, doesn't mention gold and silver. They don't give a shit about gold and silver. Um, they actually can use the same restrictions for cash payments, the physical enforcement of these things on gold and silver. So see, it's, it's old game. When you, when you, uh, want to use silver, want to use gold, you are still playing their game, which is force and violence and physical enforcement. Bitcoin changes the rules. It completely like, you know, they, they say, okay, you, we, we will all play soccer, but you know, I am the ref and I'm going to play against you. Um, but with Bitcoin, people say, no, we're going to take our ball and go play somewhere else. That's what Bitcoin is. They're total change of the game. All right. Uh, let's go on to this Basel Institute on Governance. Now, Basel Institute on Governance, they are kind of this independent, um, uh, body that is there to kind of fight money laundering specifically. They 
let me read a little bit here. Established in 2003, the Basel Institute on Governments is an independent, not-for-profit, competent center <laughs> specialized in corruption prevention and public governance, corporate governance and compliance, collective action, anti-money laundering, criminal law enforcement, and recovery of stolen assets. So they're kind of on par with like Interpol or uh, Europol. Those might be for-profit and government. I'm not sure. Probably showing my ignorance on that a little bit. But um, they're, they're this recommendation body, basically, a think tank, if you will. Uh, and they came out with a paper. They Actually, it's a press release of a conference that they put on. Uh, they have a working group on quote unquote virtual currencies and they put on a, a big conference on the 16th through the 18th of January this year. Uh, 400 financial investigators for money laundering, cybercrime and financial intelligence met in Doha. Um, I want to point out that several places they still use virtual currency, but they do say digital currency, which is very slight change in language. But to me, it's big because virtual currency means it's make-believe, right? It doesn't exist. It's a, a fantasy where digital currency is more concrete. It's more real in the real world being used. I mean, everything is digital currency anyway, uh, except for actual cash payments. So, yeah, they're, they are working with the Basel, uh, the Basel Institute on Governance is working with Europol and Interpol and a couple other agencies. Um, it is different than the Basel regulations from the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, the Bank of International Settlements happens to also be in Basel, Switzerland. Um, and so they have these Basel agreements. Now we're on Basel three, the third version of kind of it. Those are talking about like what kind of collateral bank has, what kind of reserves, uh, the bank has to keep, um, kind of an international agreement. Um, so this is separate from that Basel agreement. Uh, this is, uh, another, I mean, it's, it's associated with it probably, but, uh, it's com technically separate. Um, let me just read you a couple paragraphs here, and there's a couple bullet points. Uh, this initiative is the result of these three partners, that is the Institute on Governance, Europol, and Interpol, shared concern regarding the growing threat posed by the use of modern payment methods in the commission of organized crime and the subsequent use of these methods to launder the proceeds of crime. Um, okay. <laughs> Again, I just want to point out crime... Language is so important, right? Crime here to me is just 100% arbitrary. What is a crime in one country is not a crime in another country. I mean, gambling is basically illegal in most of the U.S., but it's half of GDP in other countries, right? So, like, wherever you are, it depends. Also, think about this. The U.K., they... I don't remember if it was three, four years ago, they started including prostitution and drugs and some other things in their GDP because their GDP was looking so shitty. They had to include all these gray market things. So what's criminal in one country is actually counted for GDP in another country. It's totally arbitrary. And there's what, 190 some countries out there that they're, uh, they're all going to have different regulations. And there's no way with the splintering of the world, the splintering of East and West, that you're going to be able to come up with what is a crime? What is a financial crime? It's going to be very, very hard to do that. Um, okay, 
So they have six bullet points here. I'm going to go over a couple of them, and then I'll go over the rest of them on the Patreon-only episode for my subscribers. So make sure you guys um, check out that page. Um, there's going to be lots of content on there. I'm hoping to put just as much content on the Patreon as I do out there for the <laughs> rest of the world. Okay. Um, okay, here's some. All countries are advised to regulate digital currency exchanges and wallet providers under their current anti-money laundering and counterterrorism financing legislation in line with the obligations already pending on the financial sector. All That's one bullet point. Second bullet point. All countries are advised to take action against digital currency mixers slash tumblers. Such services are designed exclusively to anonymize transactions and to make it impossible for law enforcement agencies to detect and trace suspicious transactions. The existence of such companies should not continue to be tolerated. Boom! Holy shit! Going right after those exchanges and wallet providers. Um, you know, don't use a wallet from a major company. Don't use a wallet from an exchange for sure. As like any primary wallet, because that will be tracked, that will be confiscatable, especially Coinbase. I mean, look at Coinbase. Those are not your Bitcoins in your their Coinbase wallet. It's not your Bitcoin. So they're pushing for uh, higher, more regulation on exchanges and wallets. Um, and then they talk about mixers and tumblers specifically, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then, of course, they say it's designed exclusively to anonymize transactions and to make it impossible for law enforcement agencies to detect and trace suspicious transactions. Okay, that is not true. Um, if you are a company and you don't want your competition seeing your movement of your money, you want to have some privacy because there's corporate espionage, there's all sorts of stuff happening. You're as a company, you're going to want to mix your coins. You're going to want to tumble things. If you are a husband or a wife, say you're a wife because this is easier to get behind, I guess, is if you're a wife and you start putting away some bitcoins and, you know, because you know that your husband's cheating on you or you're going to get a divorce or whatever or you're cheating on your husband and you want to get a divorce, then that's your little nest egg, and you want to have anonymity there. Same with the husband. If you want to get divorced and have keep a lot of your wealth away from your wife, you're going to want to get into these digital currencies, mix them and tumble them, okay? So you're not specifically trying to hide from law enforcement. You're not trying to specifically use these for um, bad activities. There are good reasons to have privacy. I mean, those are just two off the top of my head. There's probably many, many more. And yes, right now, at this very time, well, no, because if I'm just a holder and I'm scared of the government, that they're going to civil asset forfeiture my shit, then I'm going to want to mix and tumble them, okay? Because I'm scared of the government. It's not to specifically avoid... uh or make it impossible for law enforcement agencies to detect and to trace. Um, but it's just for security reasons. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of things here that you can go into. So, I mean, law enforcement and tax enforcement are somewhat similar, I guess. There are, there are the same thing, but they are different bodies. Um, anyway, so 
it's funny. They say that this existence of these companies should not be tolerated. So guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot more fucking mixers and a lot more tumblers. That's just how it's going to happen. Um, I liked what Mad Bitcoin said about this. He said, um, hey, this is a blueprint of what we need to do. They're giving this right to us. Hey, make more mixers and tumblers, which I totally 100% agree with. There's a lot in here. They go over training. They go over um, suspicious Bitcoin addresses. Um, unexplained wealth. That's been a popular one that a lot of people have talked about. That's from the last bullet point. Um, all countries are advised to consider the creation of the crime of unexplained wealth, which, oh man, there's so much to talk about that. Like I said, I'll, I'll do more of these bullet points in the Patreon only episode. Yeah. I'm like grind all day, gonna make a million sound ass someday. You know I'm in the better when I ride this way. Put me in the crown when I bite this game, uh. Bitch, I'm an animal. Eating these rappers, I swear I'm a cannibal. Bad to fulfill my dreams, I'm a fiend. I've been plotting the scheme and this shit is obscene. I rise on fleek, what in the fuck is all that even me? Seems like we're scared about what is perceived. But let me be straight up, this shit is for me. Me, me, this shit is for me. Bitch, verbatim, working on I wanted to bring up a, a topic that is going to be more talked about here in the next couple weeks, and that is uh, Ethereum Classic. We had a lot of news around Ethereum Classic with the Ethereum Investment Trust by Grayscale. That's Barry Silbert's organization. And now another piece of news here with Ethereum Classic is the White Hat Group. Their their Ether is going to be available in the next week or two. Um, you know, well, the story behind this was the Ethereum Foundation people, a lot of them, were tweeting about how, yes... Uh, we are part of the white hat group. We're going to drain this DAO so that the hacker can't, the DAO hacker can't get any more, uh, coins. But then about 12 hours later, maybe 24 hours later, like, oh shit. Um, no, we, we're not part of this, but we agree with what this white hat group, whoever they are, uh, we agree with what they're doing. <laughs> so no one's claiming to be part of this group anymore, but we all know that it's the Ethereum Foundation people or people closely associated with them um, it's a block of two million ethereum classic now they've been tied up in these dow contracts until you know in the next couple weeks they become available but for right now that's enough on ethereum classic i'm going to save the rest of that for the patreon episode okay what's next okay i have a story here about paxful paxful is a competitor to local bitcoins they're rel they're newer relatively new compared to local bitcoins and but they've been making great gains i'm not sure where they're based out of but it must be some friendly jurisdiction um they keep kind of coming out with these new things this newest thing is called their virtual bitcoin kiosk it's a little widget that you can put on your website and you earn as an affiliate with that widget you earn two percent on the sales that happen on your website or your YouTube channel comments, um, wherever you put this, your Facebook page even, uh, you are going to earn 2% of whatever anybody buys through your widget. Uh, you're, it's just like matching orders, right? It's um, a decentralized type exchange. And I think this is a growth category. So local Bitcoins is hitting all-time highs. Paxful is hitting all-time highs for volume. Um, BitSquare is getting a lot more liquidity on their their exchange. I actually downloaded BitSquare and looked and looked into it, and I didn't make a trade or anything. But uh, 
you know, I, I can see where people would be interested in that. I, one thing I did was not sure about was the payment methods. Um, one of the big things on, on BitSquare is they want you to use this, you know, your banking app, Chase Bank app or something like that. And, that's just not my bag. I, I'm not going to do that. I would rather pay maybe with a money order or something. Um, I think local bitcoins is more my flavor or Paxful. <clears throat> anyway, this is cool. They had a press release about this. Um, you can sign up as an affiliate, put this little widget on your website, and make a little bit of money off your people who buy Bitcoin through that widget. Let's talk about some wallets, shall we? <laughs> uh, I'm kind of frustrated with hardware wallets right now they the innovation seems to have stopped um the innovation now for hardware wallets seems to be adding more coins right like the ability to use litecoin on there or ethereum or or whatever to that's not just not exciting to me i mean i'm not an altcoin person so of course it's not exciting but there's a lot of other things out there you can do there's this new thing called Exodus. Um, I think it's at Exodus.io. Um, one of my friends actually was involved in creating that. Um, I think it's beautiful, and that's the route I would go before I would go to putting Litecoin on my Trezor. But uh, and plus, I mean, who's gonna put? Uh, who keeps their altcoins off the exchange anyway? Uh, I'm not gonna take my freaking pascal coin and put it onto my hardware wallet and hold it for years hoping that it goes up in value no i'm i'm gonna trade it i'm keeping it on the exchange and at least exodus is integrated with shapeshift so you can quickly tra uh, go back and forth between coins so you can use exodus for a type of trading if you will but with the hardware wallets nope good lord the only coin I can see maybe putting some Litecoin on there since it has such a long history and it's pretty stable in value. So I can see putting a bunch of Litecoin onto a hardware wallet. Um, but that's about it, really. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm disappointed with hardware wallets kind of... The, well, not disappointed, but I've noticed that the innovation has kind of slowed down. Um, and... We'll see. Maybe that maybe this will change with SegWit. I know a lot of the hardware wallets are waiting for SegWit because uh, that gives them uh, a lot more security in the way that they do things. It makes things a lot like right now they have to do a workaround, um, making sure that there's not some sort of attack on the inputs uh, to a transaction, inputs and outputs to a transaction, and SegWit will fix that. So I know that they're kind of waiting for that. But I'd like to see some more innovation out of the hardware wallet space. Now, mobile wallets, um, I wanted to talk about Samurai because I've, I've talked about Samurai in the past on the show. That's my recommended uh, wallet for Android. It's not on iOS, but I think that's in, it's on the roadmap for them. I don't know exactly where it is, but, uh, so it's my recommended Android wallet, and they just keep pushing the innovation. Here's an example. Ricochet. It's a transaction type that they created. They brainstormed. And what it does is it add hops. It adds hops into your transaction. So yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to duplicate your fees for 
those transactions, but it adds some degrees of separation. So say Coinbase, say Coinbase is tracking you and those land in a samurai wallet. And then your next transaction is a ricochet transaction. Now, now Coinbase has stopped tracking you because they only track like four jumps out. So if, if this ricochet adds five jumps or I think it adds four, four jumps to your original one. So there's five that happen. Um, it's pretty cool and it increases the cost to track you. Now, this is not some like, I don't think it's some special transaction that they came up with. It's just that they brainstorm a way, they brainstormed a way to make this happen. Um, or they brainstormed a way to package it. Now, I don't think that this is, uh, some super technical new transaction type that needs some new scripting thing or whatever. It's just a creative ass way to do a transaction. And make it harder to track you. So it's pretty ingenious. Plus what they do is they charge you a dollar per ricochet transaction that you do. And yeah, that might sound at first blush like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be charged a dollar for this transaction. But you know, if you're, if you're a wallet and you're trying to make money, you have a couple options, a token sale or some value add that you can charge for. So this is Samurai's value add, and I think it's really ingenious, actually. I'm glad that they're not going the token sale route that Mycelium went. I think that's dubious. I don't think that you can't really trust that. Like, the minute that Mycelium started doing that, my trust va my trust factor in their wallet went down. I actually think I deleted their wallet from my phone. Um, even though I, I had used it for a while, uh, several times, and... I thought it was great, just I don't trust that. But Samurai has found a way to value add and charge for it. I think that's great, really good. Um, another thing that they're innovating is this these payment codes. So they created paymentcode.io, and you can go on there and you can register your payment code so people can discover you. There's probably going to be a link to your little profile so that uh, you can share your link to your profile and with people and they can see that payment code and tap on it and copy and paste it into whatever app they're using for their payment codes. So they don't have to use Samurai for this. Uh, it's, it's a, another value add. It's another thing in their kind of, uh, product line that they're adding to the ecosystem. And I think it, man, it's just so great that it's nice to see innovation happening. So, uh, I think they're going to push, this innovation forward. There's going to be a lot that happens, not just with Samurai Wallet, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens in the next uh, year to mobile wallets that's going to be really good. So anyway, check out paymentcode.io. Um, I don't think it's officially launched yet, but I did get permission to talk about it on the show. So anyway, check that out. That's a wrap for this half of the episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and markets to support the show and get access to the extended version of every episode from here on out. Thanks for all your donations, all your support, all your feedback. I appreciate it. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.